Hey, everybody, I'm Julia Furlan, and this is the news from BuzzFeed News. I'm back. Can you hear how tan I am? I know. Thank you very much. So on this week's group chat, we're talking about what's next for the Me Too movement and what we do with abusers. Then breaking news editor Tom Namako will give you two stories to make you sound smart at happy hour or whatever soccer practice or wherever you're going tonight. Let's do it. When stories about sexual assault and misconduct started coming out last year, it felt like it was very easy to sort people into boxes. There were good people and bad people, there were victims, and there were perpetrators. But more and more, we're starting to see that these narratives aren't quite so simple. This week, the messiness hit right at the core of the Me Too movement, when the New York Times broke a story alleging that Asia Argento sexually assaulted actor Jimmy Bennett when he was 17. She was 37 at the time. But now that these allegations against her are out in the open, we as a society have to figure out what exactly all of this means. And for the group chat this week, we have entertainment editor David Mack, film critic Allison Wilmore, and entertainment reporter Ariane Lange to start the conversation. Allison, do you want to start by telling us a little bit more about who Asya is? I think for me, she's most famous for being one of Harvey Weinstein's most prominent and vocal uh, accusers. Uh, But obviously she has a a lengthy career. Right. Uh, It is interesting. She never had a huge amount of U.S. fame. And so this has really kind of become her story. The Harvey Weinstein case has become her story in the Me Too movement. But she's actually uh, the daughter of Dario Argento, who's a famous horror director. Uh, Suspiria, the remake coming up, is a remake of his one of his famous horror films, his giallo films. And she's pretty famous in Italy. She's an Italian star an actress and a filmmaker herself. Um, she even she made an autobiographical film called Scarlet Diva that actually had kind of this like Harvey Weinstein-esque character in it. You know it would be great? So if you give me a massage, then I can read that little story of yours. She's been a kind of prominent, if like mostly European figure on in film before this. Yes, she was Anthony Bourdain's girlfriend. Um, and he, because of his association with Asia, became one of the prominent male supporters of the Me Too movement. Right, right. Okay, so what what happened? Um, So according to the Times, they received documents via encrypted email from an unknown source that said that Ozzy Argento had paid off a young man, Jimmy Bennett, who's an actor and musician, because he said that she had sexually assaulted him, that she performed oral sex on him when he was just 17 years old and she was 37. This is right. They'd been in a film together in 2004 called The Heart is Deceitful, above all things. I think she directed it, correct? She did, and starred in it. She starred in it, yeah. And he played her son. He was quite young at the time, and they'd obviously stayed in touch over the years. Uh, In 2013, when Jimmy Bennett was 17, the two met at a hotel in California where the assault allegedly happened. There were Instagrams in this time story uh, from 2013 in which Asya is saying how excited she is to see her former co-star, to catch up with him. Then they shared a photo of themselves, a kind of blurry selfie. Uh, Alison specifically uh, is alleged to have happened in this hotel room. And then today, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, Ariane, and uh, Asya has just put out a statement. Uh, What does that statement say? Um, The statement denies the reporting in the New York Times, and she said essentially that 
Anthony Bourdain encouraged her to settle it quietly, which is a little strange um, that she's invoking him at this juncture. Right. She she makes some claims about Jimmy Bennett's uh, financial status and his motivations in, in going after this. What does she say? She essentially says that he has had like a troubled family history and has had kind of legal and financial entanglements with his own, of his own, like on the personal side. And I mean, the ways in which it's brought up in this statement seem to be there to discredit him in terms of how reliable a figure he is with regard to the claims. The key thing that this brings up, obviously, is as Harvey Weinstein's lawyer, Ben Braffman, has said that there's a huge level of hypocrisy here on ACS behalf to be out there, you know, as the prominent face of this movement and saying that victims should be believed and then denouncing a person who's making a claim against her. I mean, this is just hugely hypocritical, isn't it? It doesn't look good, but I think what the Me Too movement has shown is that these abuses happen everywhere. And so I don't think that necessarily a leader of the movement can't be a victim and also a perpetrator. Well, I think one of the reasons that Me Too and Time's Up have been trying really hard to be a leaderless movement is because of things like this. You know, the ways in which the more that these movements get attached to particular people, the more those people get scrutinized and their personal lives and their pasts. And I think that that kind of goes against the point here, which is that how widespread these abuses are and how related they are to power, which is something I think that also applies to the claims that are being made against Argento, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there is this, that power imbalances often enable abuse mm-hmm. uh, and that there that's part of the kind of scrutiny that needs to happen. Right, right. There was this time, this L.A. Times story that was going around and people were – it was getting well and truly ratioed on Twitter as the expression goes. Uh, and the story was, why claims against Asia Argento don't invalidate the Me Too movement? And I think the tweet was framed as such kind of, do these claims invalidate the Me Too movement in terms of reliability and stuff? What, what, was, what were both of your instincts <laughs> when you first saw that, uh, that tweet? Well, I think – It underscores how much, when we talk about claims made publicly, how much response is usually uh, still couched in being like, here's why this person can't be believed. And I think one of the things that Me Too has made me think about a lot is how much we still cling to this idea of what they call an ideal victim, Mm -hmm. in which whoever is making claims has to also prove how free of any any like attachment of kind of wrongdoing that uh, to them in any way in order to really be believed. And I think that that is a really damaging kind of thing that we need to let go of because you don't need to be past some purity test in order for bad things to have happened to you, you know. And conversely, and I think that that's part of what we're talking about here, someone can be very active in like progressive causes and, and devoting themselves to like positive things. That doesn't mean that they are incapable of harming someone. Absolutely. We've seen some very prominent people on the left get accused over this last year. Sure. It's funny what you're saying there reminds me of reporting a story last year on um, accusations against the actor Jeremy Piven and uh, you know some of the women that were coming forward had their own sort of troubled histories and involving run-ins with the law as well and I remember uh, Gloria Allred telling us that you know you don't have to be a nun to be a believable victim uh, and that's kind of stuck with me in terms of who we choose to um, to listen to at least at that very 
basic level. It's uh, for me, it's not necessarily about believing one side of the other, but it's at least about listening, right? Yeah, I wanna I wanna also say she was one of the earliest people to speak up, and you know those. I think you could certainly make the argument were people who were taking the biggest risks because we didn't know that so many people would kind of feel more comfortable speaking up and safer speaking up and it would become this huge number of people. Mm-hmm. But that also in that first, you know, in that New Yorker story where she first spoke up, she brought up herself the messiness of this. You know, she talks about being assaulted by Weinstein or allegedly being assaulted by Weinstein, but then goes on to say she had this consensual relationship with him for years afterwards, you know, and that wanted to put the whole complicated reality of that situation out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that as this story unfolds, it's always useful to remember that Me Too is about the kind of messiness of this, that there are no ideal victims, and also that there... (laughs) There's no right way for people to have behaved, Mm. you know, that like I think that the more that we start scrutinizing individuals for behaving like the ideal victim, Mm. the the more you kind of undermine that the, the movement itself, which is this larger thing. I just want to take this notion of victimhood that we've been talking about here, which I think is a really interesting conversation and acknowledge that we are talking about a younger man and an older woman. And I think it's been interesting to look at the way that this has been treated with, I would say, an extreme level of seriousness that I I don't think it would have received before this movement. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the the kind of some of that came from a place of people like looking for ammo against either Argenda herself or Me Too in general. But... I do think that that the positive of it is that this case is being taken seriously and these claims are being taken seriously. And, I, you know, I mean, if that's if that's what it takes to have some forward movement with that, at least there's there is some positive quality coming out of this. Can I ask a final question of you both? Where do you think this story goes from here? I mean, I, I feel like it's going to continue to be messy you know i think that very few of these cases have included someone being like yes i did it i'm sorry what can i do you know from what this is looking like it's going to be really messy and i think i hope that that is kind of allowed to stay messy in the details of the case you know as opposed to be used as an ammo which i've already seen it used Mm -hmm. against me too as a larger movement Ugh, i don't know it's going nowhere good i think the next step of the Me Too movement, and we haven't quite gotten there yet, but we have to figure out what to do with bad actors. So far, mostly what's happened with Me Too is we've been outing people, mostly men, and shaming them, but we're not going to execute these people, right? We're not going to send them all to a Me Too criminal island or whatever <laughs> so we have to figure out them what off to, to the do island, yeah. and I think that in a way this could be a test case I don't know I mean I think that the thing that I want which I think is maybe hopeless is for us to not always be able to take these things seriously without also pitting them against each other mm-hmm. you know that like you're like which of these allegations is like mm-hmm. the worst one and therefore you know, I don't know, like weighing them on a scale, I, I think is not helpful discourse. I think I would 
I would argue that we have to acknowledge that there are some of these men and women who are facing legal accusations and criminal investigations. And Harvey Weinstein is in court charged with some very serious charges. And there are other people who've been accused of gross kind of behavior at work and gross comments. Grouping them all together, I think, in one kind of category is, first of all, not helpful because that implies that there's one answer to all of these problems. I would think that we want the people who need to face justice to face justice, and we want the people who've done wrong to acknowledge that they've done wrong. And just like in both of those areas, there should be, hopefully, some effort to amend that behavior and to rectify it and to make good, whatever that looks like, whether it's time served in prison, whether it's kind of leading a cultural change. There's scales in there. There's complexity. I think most of the victims who have come forward have done so because they feel like the person they're saying harmed them hasn't faced any kind of justice. And to me, what makes this story a little bit weird is that Jimmy Bennett, unless he's the person who sent that anonymous email, which he may be, Jimmy Bennett is not exactly a part of it. He didn't really respond to the Times' request for comment. And so it isn't really about what he wanted necessarily. I don't know. That's another element to this that makes it additionally messy, I guess. It doesn't feel like a normal Me Too story because there's not a victim saying Me Too because Jimmy Bennett hasn't said anything. I will say, though, as a reporter who's worked on these stories uh, and edited these stories for the last year or so, I think this really does show nothing is simple and... Uh, All we can do is try to continue to get to the truth. So thanks very much, guys, for spending the time talking about this not very pleasant material. (laughs) No problem, David. Thank you. That was Allison Wilmore, David Mack, and Ariane Lange. This is the group chat, which means that we want to hear from you. This week's question is, when you heard the news about the allegations against Asia Argento, how did you feel? Tell us. We want to hear from you. If you want to get in on the group chat, text JoJo the words group chat at 929-236-9577. Your response could be in a future episode. Take it from me, a person who just re-entered the notifications atmosphere from vacation and is basically a melted husk of a human being, news notifications can get overwhelming pretty quickly. So for your listening pleasure this week, we have breaking news editor Tom Namako with Push Alert, where he breaks down the stories that you want to know about so you can sound like the cool, informed, smart, fun person that you are. There is one big story. Actually, it's two stories combined into one that you're going to need to know about. And that's that Donald Trump had a really, really terrible, nightmarish day in court yesterday. Paul Manafort showed no emotion in court this afternoon as a jury handed special counsel Robert Mueller his first conviction in the ongoing investigation. Into Russia. This is part of the Mueller investigation, which, as we all know, is the special counsel looking into whether or not the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government to swing the 2016 election. And it's not over. Paul Manafort has another trial coming next month. Then and then perhaps most importantly, Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to a bunch of crimes yesterday. He's pleading on tax evasion, bank fraud, and the campaign finance violation is the key to this because that's the one in which he says he paid off women who alleged that they had sexual affairs with President Trump. He paid off Stormy Daniels, who we know said that she had an affair with Donald Trump 
10 years ago and that she was ready to come out with this right before the election until until she received this payment. What Cohen said in court is extraordinary. He said that he made the payment in coordination with and at the direction of a candidate, which was Trump, to keep the information from coming out right before the election for the, quote again, principal purpose of influencing the election. This is all some serious stuff. And the Cohen case especially comes really extremely close to the president. The Manafort verdict shows that Robert Mueller's investigation has legs. It looks increasingly like Trump is being backed into a legal corner here. On one hand, you've got Robert Mueller, who is actually getting convictions. On the other hand, you've got Trump's former confidant and attorney saying, hey, by the way, I've got a lot more to talk about here. And then you've got Michael Cohen's own lawyer out there saying, you know, if this is a crime for my client, why isn't it a crime for Donald Trump? The best advice I can give you is to buckle up. A lot of things can happen from here, and now is the time to be paying attention. That was breaking news editor Tom Namako. Don't forget, the question that we have for this week is, when you heard the news about the allegations against Asia Argento, how did you feel? If you have a perspective or an opinion you'd like to share, text JoJo the words group chat. JoJo's number is 929-236-9577. And that's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, pretty, pretty please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show and it makes them happy. Just kidding. It makes us happy mostly, but you should do it. And don't forget, text Jojo the word whomst and you can get a list of everybody in this week's episode and their Twitter handles. That's whomst. W-H-O-M-S-T. This show was produced by the Pod Squad. That's Megan Dietrich, Alex Laughlin, Camila Salazar, Ahmed Ali Akbar, and Julia Furlan. Oh, that's me. Our boss is Cindy Vanegas Jesuale, and our music is by Chad Crouch. You can follow us on Twitter at BuzzFeed Audio, and you can email us everything you feel and think at podsquad at buzzfeed.com. And a special thank you to Jojo, who, fun fact, wants you to know that the word robot comes from the Czech word robota, which means forced work or labor which I don't know why JoJo wants you to know that. I think JoJo might be looking for a vacation. I don't know. Tune in on Saturday for another episode of The News from BuzzFeed News. Can I just say, as an Australian, I object to this continual discussion of a prison island because that was literally how my country started. <laughs> <laughs>